right. Hey, can we thank the worship team? What a great job today. So good. How are you doing today? Welcome. Welcome. It's so good to see you. And uh, what a great day to be together. You've braved the cold, so thank you for doing that. The way yesterday was looking, I was thinking we might see, you know, say something today about this new phenomenon called sun, but, you know, we continue in the Portland winter of uh, Southern California, which is great. We need it so badly, and it's such a good thing. So I just want to welcome you. Thanks for making today a part of your weekend, and we're so glad that you're here. I got a couple things just kind of housekeeping for us. Let's actually get our Bibles open. We're in James chapter 1. Tell you about that in a second. James is at the very back of your Bible, and we'll be kind of in that first chapter still today. In your worship folder, you have a set of notes, and if you want to get those out, you can follow along. You'll remember that if you're in a home group, that your notes are connected, your discussion questions connected to this. We kicked off our home group for this new season last weekend, had a great discussion. Steve's doing a great job writing some great, just thought-provoking questions. And as you think about things, you're here and you're like, you know, I appreciate the questions. We're not in a home group, but you'd like to be out on the plaza today. There's some opportunities as well to start kind of connecting dots and find a, a group to get involved in. Well, a thing going on, so there is this group of hooligans uh, over in Rancho at a church there called Flipside. I've developed a friendship, a relationship with their pastor, uh, Kevin Reynolds, and, and they keep asking me to their men's retreat. This is five years in a row, and I've told them, you guys have no idea who good speakers are because you don't want to keep having me back. You need better people, but they keep asking me, and so I'm going to be there in the mountains of Wrightwood next week, but I wanted you to know that Rick Langer is going to be here. So pretty exciting. And uh, just as we were processing the idea of knowing that weekend was coming up, I just thought, how cool would it be? Every conversation I'm ever in at Trinity Church where Rick's name comes up is so positive, and what a great job he did as a pastor here and now as a Biola professor. He's going to come with Sherry, and they're going to just visit with us. He's going to bring God's word, continue in our series here in James, and it's going to be a great weekend. So I really want to invite you back. Make sure you're here for that. You're going to love getting to hear what God's been doing even in their lives since they've been gone. Now, I have only, this, this is only for us, this service, um, and I've been kind of thinking about this for the last, you know, honestly for a couple months, but knowing that we needed to kind of get here. Do me a favor, if this is your normal service, if you're normally here at the 930, raise your hand. Let me just see, okay? And put them down. Typically, what, what a rule of thumb is as far as like church attendance and church kind of service planning is you, an 80% kind of um, target that once you, you consistently are hitting 80% at a service, you need to do something different. We're kind of hitting those you know, thresholds. Well, kind of for most of um, the last five and a half months, this service, and this service, by the way, I'm just, when Joanna came in, I'm just like, this, there's just this great momentum and vibe in the room right now at this hour in particular. And part of it is the very missional thing of seeing people, uh, these young adults say, Jesus is who I'm about. I want to follow him. That's a key piece. This is actually one of those days I didn't even need to come up. Everything's already happened. Everything's so good. And uh, what a great service. And, but yet, here's the thing, is that we have not only been hitting that 80%, but we've crested over into 90. There are very few chairs available right now. And you knew that if you came in today at 9.32, um, that's how it was. And it, it's kind of been a trend now for a few weeks in particular, which is awesome. There's a, think of the bad problems we could have in our lives, okay? This is a good problem. But I want to say this. Here's what I want to draw this all to. I want you to consider 
thinking about attending consistently a different service. And here's why. Not because I'm heavy-handed and I want to go, here, let's take a really good thing and blow it up. Not that at all. Here's what I want. We want to be a people who consistently have the confidence that when we bring a guest, when we bring a friend with us, they actually can sit down. We call it best seats at best services. And our 930 service is a great, great service for a host of reasons to invite a friend to. And when they come, we want them to have a place to sit. So here's what I want you to do. This is all I want you to just ask this question this week. There's a lot of you that this 9.30 hour, I'm looking down at our high school students, a lot of you guys are at Crave first hour and you're here. Others like um, might come because you have a, a middle school student and you're coming for that for next hour. I'm not at all saying that you're coming to this service for any other than a great reason. But if you have the flexibility to potentially go at eight o'clock, which actually just means you're gonna get a lot of coffee before you show up and then you're gonna have the rest of your day. Or if you want to go get brunch and come at 11.15, I would ask you to consider just making that move. And some of us would go, well, Todd, I'm going to miss my friends. That's when we come at the service. Have them come with you. It'll be great, okay? But here's the thing. I really want you to hear my heart behind it. I love this. I could sit at these 90% thresholds and above. We could have standing room, which would be great for everybody who's except for standing. But... <laughs> But our goal is we want to continue to create spaces for people to come and see what God's doing at Trinity Church. And that's the way we're going to get to do it. So just do that. So here's what I want you to do. I want, I want you to commit to something. And I'm not even going to do like heads up, seven up. If you would take seriously just even praying about the idea of, of consistently attending one of our two other services, would you just raise your hand? You're not committing to it. You're just going to pray about it. You're going to have a conversation with a spouse and say, I'm going to consider could we potentially push to a different service to create best seats at best services? Don't have the conversation now. I hear a lot of murmuring, okay, but, <laughs> but have it later on. All right, let's dive in. You guys are great. Thank you for being so good. So here we are. We're in this series called 2020, and we're talking about, as we're learning from the book of James, we're finding this. We're finding that James is going to tackle some significant issues. Some of you have come up to me in these last two weeks as we've started this series, and you said, Todd, how could you know? How could you know it's what I'm going through? And I said, I have no idea, but God does. And these are kind of these general issues that we tend to face. We all do as, as just a collective humanity. And so what we're gonna find in the book of James, James is not out to solve your problems. What James is wanting to do is provide clarity in the middle of them. And the clarity that you can gain, even tucking away on a Sunday morning and, and putting yourself in a position to hear from God is going to help you when you're in the crosshairs later on this week. A couple of weeks ago, we began with this, answering this question, is there any purpose in pain? Is God up to something to grow and develop me, even though it's in a set of circumstances I generally would never have asked for? Last week, we asked this question, when we lack wisdom in the midst of the challenges that we're in, where do we go? Do we ask God, and when we go to him, do we come preloaded with the answer that says yes? Whatever you say, Lord, about this next, this situation that I'm in and what I ought to do, I already come ready to say yes. So that's kind of where we've been to, so far, and today we dive into this realm of identity, like David was saying, that we're going to talk about the idea of whose we are. And remember, that was very thick in our Ephesians series. And that's what I love about the New Testament, pushing on this idea, who are you in Christ? And we're going to kind of gather around that concept and, and really remind ourselves of what not to anchor our worth and value in, but instead to see that it's in him. 
Well, I, I brought something today, uh, kind of as an illustration. The microcosm of high school, many of you know that I went to the heralded mighty Ukaipa High School right up the road, and um, there we go, and, um, and so in that time, I was able to get a letterman's jacket, and so I brought it today, not only for proof to show you this actually happened, but it actually is a great illustration for what we're talking about today, and I remember for me, so, um, and by the way, I haven't put this on in forever, and don't ask me to button it, because I can't, Okay. <laughs> So whenever you go to like a, a, a homecoming game, all these people put on their jackets and they're all open because we can't get them closed. Okay, that's why. So, um, so this is my Letterman's jacket. And what, for my thing, when I entered into high school, I really thought if there, if there was any kind of iconic status symbol, this was it. It was a letterman's jacket. I wanted one. I played a couple sports early, but then kind of got in the flow of basketball, and that's kind of what I, was really my hope. I want to make the varsity team. I want to get a letter. So my junior year, and you'll notice, by the way, looking at my jacket, it's not very adorned. There's no all CIF anywhere. This is more like lucky to make the team jacket, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and my coach and, and teammates would tell you that was the case. But here, so I got my letterman's jacket. I got it my junior year, and after the season, probably March or so, April, I got my jacket. And I got to tell you, these, uh, two and a half years of high school, I've been looking forward to this, finally got this status symbol. And man, it felt great to wear. Now, the problem was, is I didn't get to wear my jacket a whole lot because I happened to be dating a girl who liked to wear it even more than I did, right? Her name was Joanna. And so, Joanna, but, but I got to tell you, when you think about the status thing, it actually doesn't get any better than that. Not only do I have a letterman's jacket, name is on the back, but she's wearing it. So, I got a girl and the jacket. High school is good, Okay. <laughs> So that was my attitude, and so it was this whole thing, and it was all kind of wrapped around this identity, this status of having having earned this jacket and then wearing it, or at least having her wear it. Well, I'm finishing high school, I'm getting ready to graduate, and as I graduate and I'm getting ready to go to college, I start putting stuff together in boxes, and I'm going to take some stuff to my dorm room there at the master's college. And as I do, this jacket ends up in the mix, and I didn't think anything of it because that's a warm jacket and, uh, you know, I kind of want to walk around the campus a little bit like, yeah, got one, you know, kind of thing. And, and if, you had, uh, if you had the same experience, you know exactly what I'm going to say next. I get to college and I'm getting my room set up and even my roommate, you know, I'm putting my clothes in my closet and the whole thing is, oh, what's that? It's my letterman's jacket and he kind of... <clears throat> and I'm like, what? And I got to tell you, it didn't take... But a very short time to realize in college, nobody cares. (laughs) What had been the icon of what I'm hoping for, what I want to be, what I want to be identified with, meant everything for those four years of high school meant nothing the day after I graduated. Nobody wears their high school letterman's jackets at college. Now watch this. The illustration makes sense. A lot of us can identify with it, but here's our problem. We get this. We get the fact that it's terminal. We get the fact that it's going to be awesome until you graduate, and it doesn't matter anymore after that. However, we've just confused Letterman's jackets with Lexuses. That's our problem. We get this is here and gone, but we don't understand that the shiny things that we're still looking at, we think they'll last. And James says today, they fade. 
So as a follower of Jesus, instead of putting your hope, instead of putting your worth, instead of putting your value in things that are guaranteed to fade, anchor yourself to Christ. Jesus said it really clear. Look on your, on your screen. Luke chapter 12, I believe it is. You want to put that up there? He said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And we want to dial in there. Here's our kind of big idea for today, our know what, our now what. Uh, it's in your notes and on the screen. We want to have confidence in your permanent, God-reliable standing, not in your temporary, unreliable status. That's what we're hedging towards today. So let's kick it off in your notes. Number one, don't forget whose you are when you're down. Don't forget whose you are when you're down. Now, you're gonna keep seeing this phrase come out of my mouth. It's more important to me than discovering who I am is being mindful of whose. Because my identity is found in a relationship with the Son of God, with the Savior of the world, with Jesus. And so that's why we use that specific terminology. It doesn't really seem common. We often don't ever use a phrase like that, but that's why I use it all the time. Don't forget whose you, you are when you're down. James 1.9 is where we kick it off today. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Almost sounds very confusing right out of the gates. What are we talking about? Well, let's remind ourselves of the context. James James is writing to a group of people who had initially most likely been gathered at Jerusalem, followers of Jesus, we saw in our first week had been spread out literally all over the world. It's that dispersed group that James is addressing, followers of Jesus, and many of them, if not all of them, are going through very challenging times because they're being persecuted for their faith. Just a quick thing, I wasn't intending to say this, I had such a great couple of conversations this week with Ray and Ramona Abrudan, our missionaries to Romania. And I got to tell you, just when they would say, just their lives are kind of split in half between the first half under communism. And this is the phrase they said five or six times when freedom came. I can't even fathom that. I've only known freedom. And that consistent phrase of how everything has changed, not necessarily all for the good, there's still a lot of challenges, but what a huge change. Rather than doing secret Christian camps in the woods, now they're able to be out in public and reaching people. And that idea, that's the kind of persecution and more that the early church was going through. And so what we're learning today is we're coming back to, to this group of Jesus followers around the world struggling with some significant challenges one thing that we find is that no matter where they were on an economic spectrum, they needed to understand and to consider where they were going to put their worth, where they were going to put their value, what they were going to cling to, because here's the interesting reality. God's testings have a way of leveling us. God's testings have a way of leveling us. Donald Burdick in his commentary on James writes this, James seems to be indicating that trials erase any superficial distinctions that may be thought to separate the rich brother from the poor one. Now, the cool thing is, I was processing this week, Hollywood has actually helped us with this general idea a little bit today. There's plenty of Hollywood movies, television shows that talk about someone of standing, someone of wealth who loses it all and then the journey along that way. This actually isn't that story. It's another story that Hollywood also propagates. And it's a story of this. What happens when you take a group of people that are kind of all over the map economically, the rich, the poor, and everything in between, or all over the map related to status, together, quote-unquote, loser. What happens when you put them all in the same challenging blender and, and see what comes of it? 
And so I was processing, here's the kinds of shows that I think are, are movies that have depicted this for us. And thinking of the ages in the room. For some of you, you were in high school when this great show, Gilligan's Island, was on, right? Remember Gilligan's Island? And you think of that show, and, and, and you remember, just as much as this kind of bumbling Gilligan was there, so were the Howells. You know, Thurston and Lovey. And they had to, you know, how, how am I going to still maintain my level of, of comfort on this remote tropical island and all the things that happened there? Others of us lived in a different high school era. In my high school era, there was a show or a movie out called The Breakfast Club. And The Breakfast Club typified this idea, what happens when you put an all-day detention on a Saturday, the jock, the rich girl, and all the way down to the kind of uh, nerd and even the loser, you put them all in the same difficult situation, what happens? Very much played that out. Some of you were in high school when a show called Lost was on, and Lost did the same idea. You take a spectrum of people, drop them in some crazy remote place, and see what they do to each other. And then for some of you, as you guys are in high school right now, the phenomenon this last summer, Stranger Things, does that same idea. What happens when you take the stratus of people, drop them in the same problem of actually crazy mutant creatures, and see what they do, Okay. So here's my point. Hollywood has actually helped set the frame a little bit for the idea of what James is after. And James is saying that the trials that they're facing aren't necessarily being on a remote island or in all-day detention. It's the fact that they're going through challenging things for their faith. But here's the clear line. It doesn't matter if you had no kind of economic status or, or social status to cling to or if you have a lot where we find our hope, where we find our anchor is in the reality of our identity in Jesus. And that's what we're gonna keep pushing on. Let's, let's kind of break down the passage a little bit in particular. It says, believers in humble circumstances. That word humble is translated uh, well, but it also very literally means that of low lying, like very low to the ground. So a low lying plant would have the same kind of adjective. And the reality is, is that what, what James is gonna push on is that no matter where you find yourself on the economic spectrum, let's talk talk first to those who are in this lowly, humble position. They, They don't have any claim to some sort of status or some sort of significance or success. And the reality is, is that James is gonna push on, never lose sight, though a world would tell you you don't matter or you haven't arrived yet, never lose sight of whose you are. He uses this paradoxical language saying they ought to take pride in their high position. And you just said they were in a low position. So what are we talking about? Well, first off, I think the phrase that I want to explore just a little bit with you today is that phrase, take pride. I struggle with that when I read it in the Bible. Because in general, I would say when I look at the, the, the overall big picture of Scripture, when pride is narrowly defined as basically, God, I'm going to do it my way, I'm important, I know best, that's like the chief sin of everything. That was Lucifer's thing. Hey, God, you're great, I'm gonna be greater. And in our humanity, God, you say, don't touch the tree, I think it looks good, let's take a bite. That's the, the, the main essence. So for the follower of Jesus, pride is something we never want to have a part of our life. Hence, what do you do with this phrase, take pride in? So in that, I realized as I was doing some study, Think of it more along these lines. When you would say, I'm really proud of my daughter, when I say that about mine. I say, I'm really proud of my team or this group of people and what we accomplish together. And that kind of pride is more the idea of they've been tested and they've come out 
really well. They behaved well, they performed well, they did a great job, whatever it may be. It's more of a gratitude concept. And, and where I put my confidence, where I put my esteem is really the idea uh, behind the word, uh, celebrating a newfound confidence. So the meaning of the Greek word very literally is living with head held high. Very much, living with your head held high. It'd be like the people who are the fans of the Arizona basketball team when they beat the third-ranked team in the country yesterday, my team, UCLA. Their heads are very high, even to the point of uh, putting stuff on my Facebook page I did not appreciate. (laughs) The name rhymes with Nicolette K. So things like that. Um, So anyway, but for good reason, a head is held high today. There you are. Look at you. Man, and you were kind. Bear down is all you needed to say, but nonetheless... I saw red. So, um, now, so to be fair, really great game yesterday and really great win for the Arizona team. And, and for good reason, there should be a sense of esteem. Now, what Jesus is saying, what James is saying here, is that this, this concept, Paul actually uses this word all over the New Testament, writing to the churches. And he says, instead of us finding our confidence, our esteem in college basketball teams, like, who would be so spiritually mature, Right? You knew I'd have to get there somehow. You knew I would. He says in his letters to the churches that followers of Jesus ought to have great confidence, great esteem in him, in Jesus and what he's done for them and what he promises them. What the hope that he ensures is there because of the fact of him going to a cross, dying for their sins, raising from the dead, conquering death, That should be where our confidence is placed in. That is what gives us reason to walk with head held high. Not in arrogance, in confidence. The trajectory of this Greek word, it was really cool looking at one of my commentaries, is actually found in the former Testament, found in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 9, look at the screen. It says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast, let not the wise be proud of their wisdom. The strong boast or be proud of their strength. The rich boast or be proud of their riches. But let the one who boasts, let the one who is proud be proud about this, that they have an understanding to know me. Let them be confident in the fact that they know where truth, where love, where true power and esteem is found. It's found in the one God of the universe. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. That's why the believer in humble circumstances can take pride, can have this sense of esteem in this position of the reality that they live in an exalted hope that is now but not yet. That is a theological tension we'll talk a lot about in our time together in the future, that there is some realities of hope that God gives us now, but it's not realized until we see him face to face. This word, high position, by the way, is used two other times in the New Testament to help us understand what is James talking about. In Luke chapter 24, 49, it's related to where the Holy Spirit descended from, And in Ephesians 4, 9, it's where Jesus ascended to. So this exalted position is talking about heaven, talking about the reality of the presence of God. So no matter how lowly, watch this, no matter how lowly your temporal earthbound circumstances are here as a follower of Christ, watch, you couldn't be more rich. You couldn't be more expanded when you think of like what is to come than what God already promises you. 
D.A. Carson, I think he puts it so well. He says, the kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. And I'll just define discipleship. It's following Jesus. It's so much worth the kingdom of heaven following Jesus now. And those who know where the treasure lies joyfully abandon everything else to secure it. Now, I want you to hear me today. I'm not saying, and if you're here today and you are struggling in whether it be social status, economic status, whatever, that that's no big deal. It's a big deal. And it makes a lot of challenges. Life has almost got some very consistent moment-by-moment challenges that when that isn't the case, or for those who have maybe never known that kind of challenge, it's just taken for granted that everything works. But here's what I want you to hear. In the midst of those challenges, when we will not latch onto, because I've found this to be true, so many times in the Bible, you know, what does it talk about? It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says what? The love of money. So it's the idea, even if I don't have a certain kind of status, doesn't mean that I'm not trying to attain it. Doesn't mean that my gaze, doesn't mean that I was that sophomore trying to earn the letterman jacket so I could arrive even when I didn't have it. That's where my gaze was. So in the same way, even if you would say today, well, Todd, I don't have a lot of stuff. I don't have a lot of economic resources. Okay, fine. But where's your heart? And if your heart is, but that's when I'll really arrive, that's when my status will be sure, that's when I'll find true joy and identity, then James is here to say, you've missed it. Because you already have more than you could ever have on this planet. One of the things that is true about followers of Jesus over the course of of the last 2,000 years is they've been through lots of seasons of real challenge. We in America still, we have no idea what it's like to be persecuted for our faith. And in this reality, what believers have done over the course of time is always remind themselves, always have a way of saying, as hard as it is now, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. The way when I do uh, a memorial service for uh, someone who followed Christ, when I was even speaking at my mom's own uh, graveside service, the one thing that really kind of connects all the dots for me is this ability to say, Every promise God ever made to my mom, he is in real time right now fulfilling. That's the hope of heaven. That's what we anchor our standing to and not a fleeting status and not something that if we don't have now, we wish we did. Some of the titles of some of the spirituals, some would call them Negro spirituals, even of our own last couple of centuries, listen to how they resonate with the hope of heaven. I'll fly away These bones gonna rise again. This world is not my home. I'm so glad trouble doesn't last always. I'm going up to heaven anyhow. In bright mansion above, watch this swing low. Sweet chariot coming for to carry me home. Thank God I'm on my way to heaven. And I love this last one. Wish I was in heaven sitting down. And and you get it. You uh, you and I can't even begin to understand some of the challenges of the people who wrote these songs, but catch this if nothing else. They knew that's what mattered, and they looked forward to it. It's good for us to catch that today. This brings us to our second point today. Number two, don't forget how fleeting your status is when you're up. Don't forget how fleeting your status is when you're up. James 1, now we transition. Both parties are going to be equally Um, talked to today, equally even agitated, chapter one, verse 10. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. 
So two big ideas, what we're grabbing hold today for both of these kinds of ends of the spectrum. The first off is that status changes. And status is temporary, but it's your standing. Standing, standing, standing in Christ is solid. It doesn't matter who you are and where you're on the economic or social spectrum, your standing holds sure because it's rooted in Christ. But now to the status idea, this is an interesting group. And I gotta tell you, we've spent probably an inordinate amount of time today talking about the poor believer because the reality is all of us are in the second category. Every once in a while, it's really helpful for you and I to look into the mirror and stop getting caught up with the subjectivity of our world. Meaning it's like this. If you're a fish, do you even know that you're wet? It's just the world you live in, right? And that's what happens. We become very subjective to, well, this matters. So in our subjectivity of Southern California... Some of us walked in today feeling as though economically I'm really challenged and things are really hard, but can I just tell you, when we pull back and look at the world, we live in the top 1%, and I'm saying this every single one of us in this room today. And you wouldn't know that by living in your neighborhood because your house is next to a nicer one. Your car is parked in your driveway, but their car And that subjectivity of kind of looking to one another and saying, but I still want or I still wish or status is found there. It's so out of in this culture, so hard for us. But I will tell you, when you get out of this culture and you start looking around the world, you start realizing, God, I had no idea. I'm so grateful that we have a Thailand team who's on the ground today. We're excited about what they're going to be doing as they're serving and really encouraging people from all over Asia who are serving God. And I'm telling you, those missionaries are serving God in some remote places that can't even begin to understand our first world problems. Now, I don't say that to make you feel bad. I don't say that to lower some boom. I say it just for a dose of reality. We live in this second group, even though we go, well, Todd, I'm not rich. Nah, Compared to the reality of a world that you never get to see, you very much are. So in that, let's stop thinking about someone else as we look at this next part of the passage. Let's stop thinking of the person down your row and let's connect the dot to you. Because here's what we want to hear today. The things that you are even subtly latching into, that you are saying status is found here. My identity is wrapped around X. Here's the problem. It's very easy for you to sit in your chair today, like high school students that are here today, that whole um, Letterman jacket thing could be really enlightening to you because you didn't think that was true. And now you're like, oh, snap, really? I, was, I thought that was like the bomb. I want to get my jacket, I'll be super cool. And now Todd's telling me that's hollow. Yep, sorry, okay. <laughs> but, it's only, but it's only because I love you. Now, that is really easy, right? If you're not in, in that life stage, it's really easy to hear that and go, oh yeah, I hope they get it. What about you? See, there's something so terminal about graduation that changes the game. It's a little more elusive afterwards, but the truth is there. It's going to fade. And, and this whole concept of what I anchor myself to, where I find my identity, here's what I think the biggest problem is. You would ask a very good question today. You'd say, Todd, sir, what you're saying is that if I have wealth, if I have resources, that it's bad and I'm a bad person. No. Here's what I'm saying. Where is your identity? Where's your status? Where do you find your worth? And if you find it in X, 
Watch this. And it's anything but Jesus. The Bible doesn't say it might fade. The Bible doesn't say it could fade. The Bible says clarity today, it will. When we pull back, I think the problem is in my life is it just comes down to confusion. And that's why I love the book of James. James is seeking to bring clarity to your muddiness, to my muddiness. And what happens is, is I just begin to think that shiny things are gonna deliver, right? Don't you, isn't that really the issue? I think that this shiny thing will really meet that need. I was saying in the last service about buyer's remorse and buyer's remorse is so powerful to me. I, I wish I would learn from it more and not just keep experiencing it, right? But, uh, but think of it this way. I think you buy that thing, you know, whether it was in the showroom, whether it was at the checkout line, whatever it may be, you buy that thing, you bring it home and, and, and you put it in that space or you put it in the driveway, you do whatever, put it on your wall. And then all of a sudden, just in the, the initial moments of the, the, the prize, like you, you, you own this thing and all of a sudden you go, Ugh, didn't do it for me. I'd hoped it would. I'd hoped it was gonna usher in some kind of sense of joy or, or, or illicit status, like I've arrived in your life. But here's the wild thing. You've had this happen. Not only does that happen even in the first moments of bringing it home, what happens when it's happening in line? You're in line and you put it on the conveyor belt and you're watching it go down and, and you're going through the transaction and it's like literally in real time because you can really never pay cash for whatever this is. You're handing over your card and in real time you're like, this isn't going to do anything for me. But I don't know how to stop. <laughs> and, and, and like buyer's remorse is happening in the exact moment that you're doing this and you realize, God, what have I confused? What have I missed? And here's what I want you to hear today. It's not, the problem is not that you want too much. Listen, the problem is that you're satisfied with so little. And I could have never said it that clearly, but praise God, C.S. Lewis did. Look at your notes, look on the screen. This is what he writes. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. We could fill in the blank and stuff, whatever you want to put there, when infinite joy is offered us. Watch. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. The poignancy of that illustration grabs my heart every time. Imagine you go into a, a really depressed area and there's a, a young child, a four-year-old, just having a blast making mud pies. And on the one hand, you could appreciate the simplicity of it, but when you say, hey, we're, we're taking a group of kids over to the beach, we're gonna stay for a whole week in this like rented home in this great, great time. And then they look at you and they go, yeah, it's pretty great here. And you go, you can't even fathom what you're missing. And it's not because you have such great avarice and greed and, and just all about you. You just have no idea what God has said. This is what I have for you. Even as followers of Jesus, I feel like we have the same problem is that we have bought into shiny things. And it's not always even stuff. It's anything related to status, thinking now my life will make sense. Now I will count. Now I will be someone. And the Bible says, you already were. 
It's been in Jesus all along. Get your eyes up to see what he has in store for you and who he says you are. Brings us to our final point today. Number three, expect your up status to fade in the future. This is worded very carefully. Expect, count on it. Your up status is going to fade. James 1.11, for the sun rises. This is the wildflower illustration. The sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way. Look at that phrase, in the same way, the rich will fade even while they fade away, even while they go about their business. Now we said uh, a couple weeks ago when we started, last week I think actually, that, that James uses a wonderful variety of natural illustrations. Last week a wave tossed on the ocean, it never lands, wave never arrives. And this week, the idea of wildflowers. And, and I want you to see the, the delicacy of the words, what he says. Just like the wildflower fades away, the, the, the wildflower is planted in the ground. You see the picture, it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous, um, just natural thing that happens. And, and it just goes about blooming. It doesn't know any different. It grows and does its thing, but, the, but circumstances change. Something happens that it can't control, an outside trial, let's say, like James is about, and all of a sudden the sun gets a little extra hot, it begins to wither. And, and just like it says, and in the same way, the rich go about their lives unbeknownst to them. They never saw it coming, but nonetheless, even as they're doing life, the status and the reality of what they were clutching to is fading. In a little bit of a different twist, the wildflower is so pretty there, but think about when you bring them home and you've got them in the the water for a week, that's what you get. And it's the terminal reality. And, And the thing is, objectively, you know. You know that things break down. You know that things won't last. The second law of thermodynamics always happens. It keeps happening. And not just removed and not just out in our solar system, in your world But yes, somehow we keep forgetting. And I think that's James' big picture idea today. Number one, don't forget whose you are. But number two, don't forget that your status is temporary and it's gonna change. Now, wildflower illustrations are great because we can all connect to them and apply. But I kind of think in our Southern California culture that there's another thing that kind of connects this dot a little bit for us as well. How many of you ever seen this truck going down the highway, Right? And we find a lot of status and identity in our cars for some reason. And I think when, when you can ever have moments of clarity and objectivity and you pull back, you'll realize it's really a mode. Like, like think of it this way, 100, 200, 150 years ago, it'd be like the person you know, taking the wagon to the town and just all kinds of pride over this amazing horse that they have and the wooden wheels. And you look at it and you're like, uh, it's kind of just an A to B thing. You know, really, you just got to get, it's transportation. What's the big deal? And yet when you're in it, like a fish, you can't tell if you're wet. We've taken an A to B thing and made it something really big. So we see this truck going down the highway and we see the new cars on the back and we kind of take a look. I wonder who's getting that or where it's going. But you've also seen this truck. (laughs) Now here's the wild thing. None of those crushed pancake cars ever came off the assembly line like that. They all came just like the other one. Perfect, shiny. I remember I told you, I think cars ought to drive forever, never have to do anything. Gas, maybe, you know, kind of thing. I mean, I gotta get on the whole solar car thing. That'd be perfect. I don't need anything. Just drive forever. They don't. They require not only maintenance, but the reality is the only difference between the two pictures is time. 
And here's the interesting thing that James would have us here today. On the first track, yes. Parts of your life, status things in your life, look that shiny, look that great, look like they'll last forever, but everything you're holding on to aside from Jesus is gonna look like that. It doesn't have to be depressing. It just is meant to give clarity. And then help us keep coming back to the fact, God, I wanna anchor, I wanna root my life in what nothing can take away from me and in who you say I am. I've been reading Doug Moo's uh, commentary on James, and this is, he sums our whole time up today so well, I wanted to finish with it. He writes this. He says, the point of the passage is then that Christians must always evaluate themselves by spiritual and not material standards. Maintaining such a perspective in a world that so insistently confronts us with a very different standard of measurement, it's not easy. This is the world, the fish, the water that we live in. But if the church is to be the kind of countercultural society that Jesus intended it to be, and let me say unequivocally, we are. We do aim to be that. We are called to be that. Then establishing and propagating such a perspective is essential. So this week, out of this truth, out of this passage of James, Have confidence in your permanent, God-reliable standing, not in your temporary, unreliable status. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today, again, so grateful for the truth. Grateful for perspective, grateful for clarity. We need it much. And you knew, you knew today as James was being penned 2,000 years ago, you knew in this sequence we needed to talk, we needed to have our eyes lifted on this subject of status, on this subject of what we're trying to find our identity in and the things that are absolutely guaranteed to flee. We needed to have something that we wouldn't have known to ask for or even thought was important, but you put in our laps. And for that, we say thank you. I can't know the things that people are working through today. I can't know the things that they're processing in real time about this particular truth, but you do. My simple prayer is that you'd speak to us the way that only you can and you bring us to a place of greater faith and confidence in you. Now, if you're here today and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, you haven't yet said, like even these two great young adults today saying, Jesus, I am yours. I wanna live your way. I want everyone to know it. I wanna tell you the great news is that you can. You can admit that you're a sinner. Admit that there's a problem in the relationship because of the way you've lived apart from God. You can believe, believe that this Jesus we've talked today and what he, he did in a sinless life, what he did with a sacrificial death, what he did with the supernatural resurrection, believe that he is the only savior available and choose, choose to say to Jesus, I wanna walk your way. I believe in who you are. My life is yours. You can make that decision before you even leave your chair today and it's my simple prayer that you would. Father, we love you. Thank you for all that you are. And we pray in your great name today. Amen.